0: I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to the RAIN Insights Podcast from RAIN Network. In this episode, David Lawrence, co-founder of Rain, speaks with Arden O'Connor about her work experience in the mental health and substance abuse spaces. Arden O'Connor founded the O'Connor Professional Group to address the needs of families and individuals struggling with an array of behavioral issues, including addiction, mental health disorders, eating disorders, learning, and other developmental challenges. With several relatives in recovery, Arden is passionate about helping families and individuals navigate the highly fragmented treatment system in a way that creates positive outcomes and allows families to heal. Arden is a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Business
0: School. ARDEN, uh, first of all, it is a very, very special treat and privilege to be able to have a conversation with you today as uh, part of the work we have been doing with NASDAQ uh, to provide access to some of the great experts and um, sources of information around significant enterprise risks, and also to help the C-suite and the boards think about what might be coming next. And um, thank you again for all the opportunities we've had to work with you in the past and for all that you do truly in the public uh, service. So welcome.
2: Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Really appreciate it.
0: I thought uh, it would be helpful, Arden, to just give you the floor to tell what, you know, sort of your own personal narrative and your journey. I know you've uh, shared that with many people before, and I know you have a terrific platform for your own podcast, but I think it'd be helpful for people just to appreciate your background and uh, what you've accomplished and sort of where you are today.
2: Absolutely. So. Um, I had a background in mental health and behavioral health dating back to actually post-college when I ran a home for foster care kids, and obviously it's a very different demographic than who we serve now, um, but it is a group of folks who I worked with 15 to 22-year-old boys who had been in and out of foster care placements most of their lives, many of whom had abuse and neglect histories, but also had involvement with the criminal justice system. Many of them had mental health and substance use stories. Uh, Additionally, on the personal side, I had a younger brother who struggled with substance abuse starting at a very early age. Uh, I'm not great with quoting stats, but I always quote this one because it's so relevant to my personal situation. Chris, my younger brother, started abusing substances around the age of 12. And we know if you start drinking before the age of 13, your chances of having an addiction issue later in life goes up to around 39 or 40%. If you wait till you're 21, which is, I was the oldest sister and a nerd, like my birth order required, I waited until I was 21 and your chances of becoming addicted or having an addictive disorder later in life go down to 9%. So we're real um, live examples of that trend. Um, so I had had this professional experience with the foster care population and an experience with my brother, who went basically in and out over a 15-year period of actually around 15 programs. He thought saw over 30 different therapists and providers, um, and our family has been very public and open about discussing, you know, it was a costly investment, and we were lucky to have the resources, but our family probably spent half a million dollars out of pocket trying to find the right place, and really elongate, when he would go into treatment, the positive outcomes. He would make progress in various facilities he went to, for the most part. Some were not as good as others. Um, But then he would come home, and he would return back into an apartment that my parents subsidized. And he was 26 years old. His friends were out drinking, and he would relapse, and we would go back through the whole cycle again. And I kept saying to my parents, you know, I've never seen a more devastating disease from an emotional perspective for families I've never seen a more financially disastrous disease and and a place where really, you know, people don't know what to do. They don't know how to get better outcomes. And that's what we were founded to do um, is to really help families figure out, at first with addiction, and we've now branched into mental health, dementia, eating disorders, other learning disorders, because there are so many parallels and so many, frankly, families that have multiple issues, either within the same person or within the family system. Um, But we started really as an answer to families like ours who needed support along the way, both in crisis and then in periods of stability where my parents were trying to figure out how to support my brother, but in a way that was productive um, and helpful to his recovery, not enabling bad behaviors.
0: Arden, you touched upon a number of points, and I actually want to unpack this. First of all, this has been a um, a personal journey for you, and obviously one that uh, you're very passionate about. And you also basically integrated the themes that you know the issue of substance use disorder it doesn't stand alone, it's often intertwined with mental health challenges of depression and anxiety, um, self-medication, and that it's also a chronic issue that not only impacts the individual, but obviously family members and loved ones, et cetera. And further, you identified a marketplace where people still do not generally know where to go, where to turn, what it is they need to know, what it is they need to do, what it is they need to keep doing. And so maybe you could just expand, uh, you know, there's some common themes in um, in what you've said. And uh, you also left out your education background, which I'd <laughs> like you to reflect <laughs> upon for uh, the audience, because it is absolutely relevant to how you've been able to accomplish what you have
2: of of course no it's very very kind of you to bring up i don't always lead with it um, but i i was lucky enough to go to both harvard college and harvard business school um and have been you know it's funny when i first started my business a lot of folks said why would a harvard business school graduate go into this area and then i would give the context around my brother chris and people understood it more and now it's become you know as you well know david a, a big area of investment and in interest behavioral health generally speaking um from a private equity standpoint so suddenly I'm, I'm the girl to talk to at reunions i don't think that was the case at the at the fifth and certainly not at the 10th year reunion um so so that is my educational background i think you know there's so many different areas to take the conversation i think the, the basic areas that I felt like weren't covered for our family were a couple. One was very practical help in moments of crisis. And while there are great therapists and wonderful psychiatrists in our country, you know, the model of we give you an hour on a Tuesday at four o'clock. If you are a family member of somebody with it doesn't have to be an addictive disorder, an eating disorder, a mental health issue. Those issues don't always unfold under business hours. And so while there is some after hours availability, um, I found that a lot of the resources were directed towards my brother and quote, unquote, fixing his issues. And we may or may not have access to how he was doing based on whether he was willing to sign a release. Um, In moments when he wasn't motivated to accept care, my parents were really at a loss for how do we get him more motivated, if at all, to to make positive changes. Um, And so those were two, the resistance, the, you know, accessibility of a person and somebody, frankly, who could give practical guidance. While I absolutely believe there's a place in the continuum for looking at family of origin issues um, and, you know, what is causing certain behaviors for our family, particularly for my father, who is a real estate uh, professional, he and an irish catholic by descent which are probably the least apt in my humble opinion to accept therapy you know he was not as interested in in examining the whys he was much more like tell me what to do and i think finding a group that had the clinical know-how but also practical suggestions that had the capacity to also help him manage his own emotions that just wasn't available at the time we were looking um and that was really part of the problem that we were trying to solve, is how do you navigate the system? How do you deal with crisis? How do you make sure families are okay? And then how do you make sure the person who is struggling gets the resources they need over the long term? So it's not just a cycle in and out of facilities.
0: And again, um, what is remarkable uh, about your journey is um, personal experience threaded with professional training and looking at a marketplace that was not addressing these important issues. And uh, I, I get it now at alumni uh, gatherings, uh, you are the person to <laughs> people want to talk to, <laughs> but, but wasn't always uh, the case. And um, I'd like to just, I know you've been doing a lot of work with enterprises and I want to share with you uh, perspective. When we started RAIN, uh, and Mike Lesser, Dr. Mike Lesser, uh, was kind enough to lean in to build our medical and psychological network, people understood the need to address security, cybersecurity, legal and regulatory risk, transactional diligence, um, corporate governance, geopolitics, etc. But then they would see. Within our taxonomy, medical and psychological, and they would go, huh, what's that about? Okay, that was, you know, some seven plus years ago. And I explained from my days at the US Attorney's Office and my days at Goldman and even subsequently that the reason we have a medical and psychological network of experts and we disseminate information on a wide breadth of issues. Uh, is because these matters can have a profound impact on enterprises. And I have seen it, uh, you know, I'll give you a, a somewhat dramatic example, but when I was at Goldman and Fukushima melted down, and there were all these companies, you know, in Asian and US based companies that had people abroad, and people were nervous about where the cloud was going and what were the potential safety effects and stuff and we had to quickly scramble to find some of the leading experts on this subject and get on phone calls and we were sharing information throughout the industry. And we've had SARS and, you know, we had Ebola and of course the pandemic, which was, you know, something that impacted everyone. But in the areas of mental health and substance use, I've been lucky enough to have Mike work with me. Um, because these are areas that we now know are very, very fundamental to, I'll call it, the health of personnel, the workplace, uh, the types of things that people are struggling with. Uh, they need help. Enterprises are becoming more aware. And there are the connections with substance use disorders, whether it's alcohol, it's drugs, etc. Um, maybe you can share with people just sort of what you're seeing from a corporate standpoint in terms of what is needed, what is the opportunity for companies to lead on, and a little bit about, I'll call it, the future of what companies really have to do to understand what their people are going through and how to help them.
2: Sure. it's a broad question and an important one um so we when we started out we would get companies who called us every once in a while for a specific situation you know a a key employee who was having a crisis and i think you alluded to this but One of the issues would become this was a very productive employee, somebody who oftentimes was driving revenue, whether it's a a law firm or a financial services firm. And they were noticing, you know, this person either themselves has an issue with alcohol or a family member may have an issue and the productivity of this person dropped substantially. So the firm was economically incented to make sure that this person was okay. Um, And so we would get these as like one-off scenarios, I would say, in the first five years we were founded. Um, COVID, I think, exacerbated the... I don't actually think it's funny. People always say, well, COVID caused the mental health problems. We were already in what I would call a tsunami of mental health issues. It just hastened how fast it happened and frankly made it much more difficult to find providers because so many of them are so busy now. uh, Therapists, psychiatrists, Inpatient treatment's a little bit easier, depending on on what model you're looking at. Um, but to your question, I think you know what we're noticing is a few trends, and it, it, it's remained. You know, it's interesting. We got employers that were much more interested in holistic packages of services that were helping them again navigate the system, find a particular therapist. We had a request from a financial services firm for a um, Asian. Therapist based in Alabama, which I can tell you was quite a puzzle to figure out. There aren't uh, there aren't thousands of them, um, but through situations of just basic education around how do we take care of ourselves during COVID. You know, we've got people who are stressed. They are at home. They are in work from home spaces that weren't designed to be such their, they're, you know, the partners, both are from home and they're trying to homeschool their kids, anxieties through the roof, substance uses through the roof. So we're doing webinars about that or mental wellness one-on-one coaching. And I sort of assumed that as COVID never went away, but as the, the urgency of the situation decreased, we would see less requests from that. And that has not been our experience. We still see firms that are recognizing mental health as a priority. We're seeing younger millennial uh, employees who are asking what are the mental health benefits you're offering. Um, there are obviously huge solutions like Lyra that work with Ubers of the world and help you know establish therapy networks. And then there's cert- firms like ours that serve in a more bespoke way for a particular set of issues or issues that aren't addressed by just one-on-one therapy and there's everything in between their apps. So I think what we're seeing is just a proliferation of options and, and a recognition by employers that both in the context of family, overall health of individual employee health, and even situations, you know, an employee gets a medical diagnosis that's complicated and there's a depressive episode after this person may not have depression as a diagnosis, but it's a situational type of depression that there is an absolute need to get services that are flexible, that are offered in the way that employees want to see them um, and that are addressing urgent needs in a timely fashion. Um, so I absolutely think firms that can do that um, are gonna be way ahead of the game, both in employee retention, as well as a recruitment um, from a recruitment standpoint.
0: And let me I, I wanna go back to the point you made about uh, COVID uh, not causing mental health crisis. It was already there. Um, What what I would say, Arden, uh, and I'm still studying COVID, and I'm actually uh, reading, uh, -reading, rereading The Plague by Camus. There is something about these moments that, you know, wash over a society, and particularly because everybody was away from work and they're at home. A number of things that we were not addressing in this country came to light, and I think the mental health issue, you know, or mental health challenges are one of these, uh, one of the most important issues. Um, and whether it's because people were isolated, uh, or people had time to pause and wonder, you know, what what is my job about and what is my life about. And why am I feeling the way I'm feeling, and uh, sort of recognizing with a certain degree of introspection that something, you know, there's some things that are wrong. And um, what was interesting, because Mike Lesser and I heard from so many uh, employers, you know, who's, you know, they're trying to find help for their people, both on a scalable way and also individually. Uh, What shocked me less, Mike, uh, was the fact that people did not, that these companies did not know where to go or where to turn to, okay? And it wasn't just for the specialized, uh, I'd like a, you know, a therapist of Asian descent and, you know, work in in the Birmingham area. Uh, Sure. uh, It was something more profound. Uh, We we heard from a, a prominent Executive mother, whose son was teenage son was going through a very very difficult time. Uh, they were in a major metropolitan area in Texas, and there was no facility.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was no room, and the waiting list to see a professional was going to be another three weeks. And so, Absolutely. what to do? And I, I'm just you know, and I I think people began to focus on that, and and so. What I'd like to ask of you is um, if I invited you on onto the board of a major public company sure. and, and uh, you were attending your first meeting and the chair of the board turned to, to you and said, look, we have 20,000 employees. We're in 10 different jurisdictions. What should we be doing to help them maintain okay. their mental health? And also to support their families at home. And uh, you and I spoke before this call, you know, uh, and you know, I, I mentioned that one CEO once remarked to me whose daughter had been suffering from depression and um, substance use disorder, he didn't realize at the time that they were compounded issues. Um, and he said he, you know, it's a public company, he he said, I was, I've really been lost to my company for three quarters Mm -hmm. because of this. And that's because of what was happening at home. Okay. So I've just invited you onto the board (laughs) and I, we're, we're all giving you as they do at board meetings. Arden, you have the floor. Tell us what you should be (laughs) doing. Okay.
2: I'm thrilled to be invited on the floor, on the floor. Thank you. Or onto the board. I appreciate it. Um, So i'd say a few things you know one and it's going to sound very basic one is education at a basic level around um what does what do problematic symptoms look like and that's both for the benefit of individual employees frankly to look at each other and the person at the desk next to them as well as their own family members and themselves and when does when is the line between when something is You know i'm in an episode because i broke up with my boyfriend versus this is something more significant it's been present for over two to three weeks and we need to really look at getting some clinical help and then what are the options for help so very high level um easy to chunk out kind of education around what is behavioral health you know how do we address it and what are proactive ways to keep your mental health sane a lot of which we know but are hard to implement The second issue I would say is having a range of resources that people either can take advantage of, ideally that the firm is funding, um, but knowing that that's not always true, that are voluntary benefits that are advertised and implemented. I can't tell you the number of corporate clients we have that complain at different times about issues that are happening. And then we say, well, how much have you pushed this option or that option? And they say, oh yeah, we forgot to put it in the newsletter. Um, So to the extent that there can be Some people respond better to in-person therapy. And, you know, we've had corporate clients who have hired us to have a psychologist on site. Some people really enjoy something like an app, like Talkspace. So knowing what the array of options and having a strategy for how you're going to, not only relay the presence of them, but, you know, to the extent you can have internal champions saying, I use Ginger, I use Lyra, I used O'Connor Group, whatever it is, and really saying what they got out of it. And those are stories, ideally, that leaders are sharing. Um, I think to the extent that firms are really concerned about this as productivity loss and can look at it less from a cost center, but more from a investment to keep employees retained and productive. And they can offer, Benefits to family members, I'll tell you, we've had a few law firms sign on for what we call memberships, where they can take the investment they've made in our services and offer it to, they can offer it to clients, they can offer it to family members when somebody gets into trouble, because to your point about the CEO, it's not just the individual who may be impacted, it may be those around them. And then the last piece, and this is a much more murky issue, is to really look at culture. I think even with the best behavioral health providers, if you have a toxic culture, if you are saying to people, yes, we want you to exercise, we want you to sleep, but they're on Zooms nine hours a day and there's no let up and and supervisors are punishing with the attitudes they have, uh, the chances that even the best therapist is gonna answer it is is, is are zilch. So I think really looking at what behaviors are you re- reinforcing? Who's taking vacation? Are they taking enough? Can people opt on internal meetings to take it on a walk so they don't feel the pressure to sit at a desk all day? You know, what are the things we can do? And, and polling employees to get their engagement. I would say those are the three areas I would focus on.
0: And I should remind the audience that Uh, I'll call it the business set, or the network is probably a better term, Arden, that you have built, was specifically designed to address the, we'll call it the the void in the market of people when they had a problem, not knowing where to go and where to turn. Obviously, you're not a psychiatrist, uh, but your ability to understand the problems and connect people with great therapists help educate provide training materials share information uh is fundamental and uh, i know you alluded to this with your brother but the you know the the simple issue of um you know how do you convince someone to get the help they need or to cooperate in getting the help they need is something you know that you know i'm not sure companies think through, but that's often a very significant issue um, that companies have to confront with with a key person or that a key person within the organization is struggling with at home. And so um, I know that's, you, you sort of, I, I refer to you as a general contractor. Uh, <laughs> who, who understands you know, the specialty trades that have to be brought to bear. I,
2: I love that analogy. Somebody used it at our firm years ago and I thought, well, we're a concierge service. Why, why do we want to be compared to a contractor? And I have to tell you, I use it all the time now because certain activities we do, we do with our own employees and other times we say, you know what, this isn't our specialty and we'll collaborate closely because that frankly was my big mission. There's a lot of gaps in the mental health system as it exists today and families don't know what to ask for nor do employers so the best thing you can do is say we'll come come to us we'll try and do our best to come up with a one-stop solution and it may include partners but you're not going to have to talk to 10 different people and tell the same story over and over again.
0: That's great. Uh, I'll tell you my personal disdain for concierge it sort of suggests <laughs> that there's a velvet rope out there that and and I know you've dedicated yourself to removing the velvet rope, so in any event. Um, I, there was another aspect that I've heard you speak about, and uh, I thought maybe I could ask you a leading question for so that enterprises um, that are thinking about how to provide the mental health support for their people and, and, and the extended families, which is the removal of stigma or and the removal of shame from the struggles that people have and the importance of doing that.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, I think we see great organizations and I know you're familiar with Gary and Shatterproof. He has been on a mission from a campaign and I wouldn't even say a PR, but uh Education perspective to edu- to really talk to folks about what addiction is, what it's not. It's a brain disease. It's not a moral failing. And and even though people, I think, know this intuitively, I would say there still is, particularly with the kinds of folks we're talking about—CEOs, executives, high-profile folks—but even some regular folks. Not everybody wants to admit. You know, geez, my brother has a heroin dependence. It's a very different thing to talk about than a cancer diagnosis where no one's going to blame you for having that um, in your in your DNA. So I think while we're getting better, while I think in many ways the one, I like to be a glass half full person, one benefit of COVID is that we're seeing Major publications like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times talk openly about mental health and substance use, and we're seeing celebrities come forward and talk about their sobriety. You know, we're in an age where this is being disclosed more and more, and I think, you know, in a couple generations from now, there won't be the same level of stigma. It does still persist, Um, and one thing I like to talk to folks about is, especially people getting into recovery, is that if people have a reaction to you saying, gosh, I'm not going to drink because I know it's not good for me or I have had an addiction issue in the past. If they have a reaction to that that's negative, it often says more about their own issues related to compulsive Mm -hmm. behaviors than it does about Mm you. Um, And to the extent that people feel the need to keep it secret. My experience is you know, if a father doesn't want to mention, and this was very much the case in our family, my dad didn't want to talk openly about my brother's addiction for years because he dropped out of Georgetown, and my, brother, my dad wanted my brother to be able to go back there and didn't want people to know in case it limited his job opportunities. And finally, it got serious enough, and my dad said, you know, we've been gone for two years, we can't keep saying he's at tennis camp, we gotta come clean. Um, it opened the door for honest conversations. It also made my brother feel like, nope, we're not embarrassed about this as a family. We're gonna own it. This is a pre, you know, my brother was, was predisposed to addiction because my dad's in recovery and it's all over our family. Um, and by being open about it, I think it opened the door, not only with our family members, but really for an honest conversation internally. So my brother didn't need to feel like I need to keep this secret as well.
0: So from an enterprise-wide standpoint, the message to people is to remove the stigma and the shame and allow them to come forward and seek the help that they need.
2: Absolutely. And I think even regardless of people who have addictive disorders, I think we're also seeing a generation of folks who are viewing drinking the way smoking has been viewed in the past. And I, I fully, I'm, I'm very open. I am a social drinker. I'm very careful, given my genetic predispositions. but. I do think we're seeing all of a sudden all these alcohol replacement drinks, um, many of which are delicious, and I've tried. And I think we're seeing a younger generation of folks who are sober, curious, and really thinking about even if they haven't had an issue or they don't have a predisposition, they're just thinking about what what life might look like if I'm healthy with my eating habits, if I'm healthy with my exercise. What if, do I really need alcohol? So employers just need to. Be mindful of that too. I think the days of big company parties where everybody gets drunk at the holidays are gonna be gone very soon, if not already.
0: Okay. And I'd like to uh, maybe put it in unabashed plug for your work, Um, but there's been a great deal of debate on about ESG and ranking companies for their ESG standards. Um, there's, There's a counter debate about whether this should be relevant and whether you know, E belongs with S, belongs with G, et cetera. But certainly when you think about governance and I think about social responsibility, I can't think of anything more important uh, because of the amount of time that people spend at work and and the amount of time of their lives that they are at work, that um, one of the responsibilities that employers have is to help people to address some very very important issues in their lives and whether it's retirement planning the ability to support their family the ability to work in a safe environment uh but increasingly because it's just not out there or i mean and, and that's mm-hmm. um employers I, I don't want to call them the last resort i'd rather refer to them as the. they may very well be the first resort for helping people to understand um, sort of the issues the challenges and the resources that can be brought to bear
2: i I think that is exactly right and i think um i think as employers i mean we are in i know it's softening a little bit but we are in a tighter employment market than than we've been in a long time and i think if again employers start to think about it as a positive way to both acknowledge the stressors that are part of daily living, but also just to have a healthier workforce. When I was coming out of business school in 2008, there was a whole movement to get different rewards programs for people walking and exercising and eating healthy. And they were trying to incentivize all these internal contests um, to get people engaged as employers um, and employees in taking better care of their physical health. And I think this is just the next iteration of that, that, you know, you can, it's great to be fit. And I think that's an important part of mental health. But there's also folks who are struggling with many other issues who actually need a therapist or some type of medication evaluation. And to the extent employers can take it seriously and have an array of options, I think they just will see a a workforce that's quite frankly, way more thankful and grateful, not just for the financial support they receive from their employers, but this idea that they actually care about their holistic well-being.
0: By the way, I'm glad you touched upon that because um, I think that's very much essential to the social contract of what binds um, people to their employers, is a sense that their employers actually care. We saw that during COVID, we worked with a number of clients who really were proactive in getting information to their people, that was independent and unbiased and factually accurate. And um, it was just greatly appreciated. And the messaging about how families need to take care of themselves and how they can, again, greatly appreciated. So yeah, the, with increasing labor strife, I don't want to go too far off track here, Arden, but, but, but the notion that people feel their employer actually cares about them is extraordinarily important, and I don't know if it's measurable in the current ESG metrics, but to me it does matter. So I'm glad you made that point. I will uh, mention, just this was not planned obviously for today, but uh, NPR uh, (laughs) this morning was highlighting a special series about what it takes to stay healthy in America, and they were focused on Uh, depression and and mental health. And uh, I'll just, you know, I I don't think there's anything here you would disagree with. But, you know, including getting seven to nine hours of sleep, um, you know, uh, good luck for me with that. But (laughs) adding more physical activity and eating a balanced diet, focused on plants and grains and lean proteins and limiting alcohol intake and not smoking and limiting screen time to avoid being, sen- and avoid being sedentary. And then I love the last one, and, and that's what I want to touch upon, which is cultivate friendship and community through hobbies. Because so often um, people struggling with mental health and co-occurring or maybe separate um, substance use disorders, these are diseases of isolation. And I've heard you speak about that. I've heard, uh, you know, obviously others, including uh, you referenced Gary, uh, but um, this notion of having friendships and a sense of community, because the recovery path um, mm-hmm. is is, I'll, I'll be cliched. I've heard it described. It's a lifelong process. Okay. Uh, Mike Lesser has said it is a chronic disease, no different than heart disease, no different than cancers, chronic, et cetera. Uh, But the one thing that, you know, I have come to learn is that the notion of having um, a sense of community is critical um, in terms of people being able to deal with their issues and maintain healthy habits that lead to long-term recovery and maybe you can just talk about you know some of your work in that area i know you know obviously you have your podcasts and, and things like that that bring the network together but the importance of support groups and again this ties into the removal of stigma and shame but how you know the importance of a sense of community and people having friends and family members and support groups to help them
2: I mean, it's everything. We, as you know, David, we did a video uh, about my family's experience uh, with my brother's addiction. And one of the main themes in it is community, because he was thriving when he lived in the Berkshires and had a sponsor and a group of peers who he could relate to, who had been through something that was similar, who he felt were really invested in his overall health and his sobriety. And it's one of the first things I say, it's why, you know, I don't think AA is for everybody. There's other alternatives. There's um, other communities, therapeutic communities, smart recovery. There's all different ways to, to peel an apple, as they say, but I think there's I think no community is not an option. Um, And that doesn't just go for addiction. It can be for mental health. I think it can be for, frankly, just living. I mean, I, I remember talking to my therapist about all the various things you're talking about, sleep and exercise, limiting alcohol, eating healthy foods, blah, blah, blah. She also said, like, it also comes down to relationships. And I think that has been listed, if I'm not mistaken, as like the number one determinant of our overall sort of lifespan and sort of the people who have connections. And so I think especially if you have a particular issue that you are maybe embarrassed about, maybe makes you feel a little different than the average person. But all of us need a sense of community. And I think what we do see is unfortunate in families that we serve who have somebody living in an isolated situation. Oftentimes, the behavioral health issue exacerbates. And sometimes it's not because they're taking more substances or they're they're doing something more negative. It's just because they, they're not getting out in the world. They don't they're not noticing that, you know, they're, yes, it was a, they had a bad interaction with their boss or something went wrong, but they had a great walk with a friend and they felt like they could turn to somebody. So I think it's everything. Um, and I think it's particularly important for people who are struggling with any kind of issue because it, it ensures that they have an outlet to talk before things get so desperate that they think about harming themselves.
0: Arden, I want to thank you very much uh, for the conversation, for your ongoing service to the public in helping people better understand the issues and also knowing where they can go and where they can turn. And you have been, you know, Mike Lester and I talk about this all the time, but um, you are not only a source of optimism uh, for so many people, but, you know, inspiration about what can be accomplished. Um, And so many of the people we have met, by the way, it's it's fascinating to me. I I don't know whether you saw this, I think the Journal, Wall Street Journal, published this that um, just an over overwhelming majority of Americans uh, have been impacted. Um, I'll quote, by the addiction crisis,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I started to refer to it as it's a disease of one degree of separation, no more than one degree, right?
2: That's exactly right.
0: And and you know either directly or one removed, and um, what is interesting in terms of coming out of this Uh, I'll be optimistic uh, by saying that there are proven protocols there are people out there who know what they're doing There are incredible people who have gone through this themselves or been touched upon by these issues who have decided to lean in and and help in a variety of ways and uh, that's the good news the bad news is we don't yet have this to scale and we don't have enough of these resources and so hence i'll go back to the point uh, your work with companies and the fact that companies may very well be the first line of defense for people in terms of dealing with these issues and getting the help they need so that's a, a broader message uh, related to our conference uh, for the nasdaq and they're listed and to be listed companies
2: well, thank you very much for having me today and bringing these issues to the light. To light, especially with corporations, I think it is such an important um, thing for leadership to be considering. And it's always a pleasure to interact with you and talk with you, David. You've got such a great outlook in this field.
0: Well, most importantly, maybe maybe we can get the S and the G in ESG to <laughs> to, to, to we'll, we'll get some of the rating agencies who are doing this stuff to focus on the mental. Health support for their people. That, right?
2: I think that sounds wonderful.
0: Okay, Orton. Listen, thank you again. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to working with you uh, in the very near future.
1: That sounds wonderful. Have a great day. Bye bye. Bye. This is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both virtual and real world events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. Thank you for listening.